Chapter twenty three of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter twenty three. Of the moment that followed, I have no distinct recollection. I vaguely remember clinging to Creel, and I could feel his vice like grip on my arm, and I suppose I must have closed my eyes for when I opened them and looked down again into that staring face, that startling likeness had vanished. All that lay there was a dark-hued countenance with a wide-open eyes of glass, gazing placidly up at us. It was like a dissolving view, or a puzzle picture, which changes as one looks at it. Then I saw that it was not the mummy I was staring at, but the outer case or coffin molded to the lines of the human form inside it, and it was upon one end of this outer case that the face, a portrait, presumably, of the man whose body lay within, had been carved and then carefully painted. "'Did you see it?' asked Creel, relaxing his grip and wiping the sweat from his face. I nodded mutely. "'See what?' demanded Davis. "'The first glimpse I had of that face,' said Creel, "'I'd have sworn it was Jimmy Allen.' Davis squinted down at it. "'It's a portrait of Sekenyan Ray,' he said, "'if this is really his mummy, and it doesn't look the least like Allen.' Then he looked at it again, and I could see by his startled expression that he had caught the likeness. "'By George, it does, though,' he said. "'Better not let Jimmy see it,' said Creel. "'It will only send him off again.' "'Better not let Jimmy see what?' demanded a voice, and there was Jimmy behind us. "'I heard Creel invite Billy over,' he explained to Davis, "'and I came, too, as soon as I got off my war-paint. I hope you don't mind.' "'Not at all,' Davis assured him, and turned back to an inspection of the coffin. "'Now,' said Jimmy to Creel, "'What was it I wasn't to see?' "'Oh, nothing,' said Creel nervously. "'What was it, Billy?' asked Jimmy, turning to me. "'Come, I'm not a child. What was it?' "'When we first saw it,' I explained, "'we thought that the face painted on the coffin looked a little like you. "'Of course it doesn't, really. "'Why shouldn't it look like me?' asked Jimmy quietly. "'It was intended for me.' "'We could only stare at him with open mouths, even Davis.' "'And I think it's a pretty good likeness, all things considered,' he added, looking down at it. Creel got back enough of his self-control to laugh. A pretty hollow laugh it was, but nevertheless it could be recognized as being intended for a sign of amusement. "'They gave you a swell coffin,' he commented. "'Yes,' said Jimmy simply. "'That I couldn't prevent, any more than I could prevent that magniloquent description of my greatness which they inscribed along the sides. But the sarcophagus, all this,' and he waved his hand around the barren walls, I myself prepared a year before I died. That was my expiation, a million years in hell. But it wasn't enough, it seems. Expiation for what? demanded Creel. For walling her up alive, said Jimmy, and for an instant inclined a listening ear toward the rear wall of the tomb, as I had seen him do once before. Then, with a faint smile, he turned back to the coffin and gazed down at it meditatively. Davis was looking at him with a sort of double-concentrated attention, Creel was staring, a twisted smile still on his lips. As for me, I knew what had happened. I had feared it the night before. Jimmy had gone mad. But that's all make-believe, Creel burst out at last. That's just the story we're filming. Is it? asked Jimmy, and brushed his hand before his eyes in a bewildered way. Perhaps it is. I don't seem to be able to keep them apart any more, the real and the unreal. Then he shook his head sharply. No, it's true, he said. She kept on asking for love. For love! Her arms were always around me like a prison. At last I couldn't stand it any longer. She tried to kill me one day, because I took another woman, and I walled her up back there so that she couldn't bother me any more. 
and he nodded toward the rear wall with its sinister sign of warning. I was sorry afterward, he added in a lower tone, but it was too late, and she did bother me, for she never died, just waited on and on. His voice trailed away, and he looked down again at the coffin, his lips trembling. We stared at the wall, and we stared at Jimmy, and I, at least, was convinced that when that wall was opened, the body of his victim, or what was left of it, would be found there. As for her never dying, that, of course, was nonsense. She would be dead enough, and dried into some such hideous thing as Creel had fabricated. I glanced at Davis to find him combing his beard thoughtfully, as he looked at Jimmy without any sign of surprise or perturbation. At last, Jimmy, with a final look at the coffin, turned and walked silently out of the tomb. "'What do you think of him, Professor?' Creel demanded when the sound of his footsteps had died away down the passage. "'He's been worrying over that picture too much,' said Davis. "'He said himself that he couldn't separate the imaginary from the real. "'The heat, no doubt, is what started the trouble. "'And then he's rather mad about that Frenchwoman, isn't he? "'You mean his mind is gone?' "'Oh, not so bad as that. Just a mild mania. "'He will be all right again once he's through with the picture and away from here. "'Then you don't believe—' "'Creel didn't finish the sentence, but the glance he cast at the rear wall was enough. "'That he really is a reincarnation of the mummy in the coffin there?' asked Davis, smiling. "'No. Do you?' "'I don't know,' said Creel slowly. "'I seem to be ready to believe almost anything. It must be in the air. "'But where did he get that story?' "'There is sometimes a curious clairvoyance about mania,' Davis answered more gravely, "'and it may be that Jimmy has guessed the secret of this place. "'I had made some such guess myself, you'll remember, "'that the king had caused himself to be buried in this bare, unornamented tomb, "'as a penance or expiation. "'I should have said that it was probably to expiate some impiety toward the gods, "'but it may be that the crime for which he wished to atone "'was the murder of a woman who loved him. "'Yes,' and it may be that we shall find her body behind that wall back yonder. Alive? asked Creel, almost in a whisper. Rubbish, said Davis impatiently. As dead as that papier-mâché fake you brought from New York. I surely hope so, said Creel devoutly. Go ahead. That's all, I think, said Davis, except that there's just a possibility we may find the whole story on a papyrus roll inside the coffin. But if we do, and if the story should turn out to be as Jimmy has guessed it, that wouldn't prove anything. It certainly wouldn't prove that Jimmy Allen is the reincarnation of Sekanyen Ray, and that Mademoiselle Roland is the reincarnation of the murdered favorite, and that this fantastic story you have made up for a moving picture is true. You're right, of course, agreed Creel, and made a motion as though he were brushing cobwebs from before his eyes. Stated like that, it certainly does sound absurd. But for a moment... If we steadily refuse to accept a supernatural explanation of anything, said Davis, we can always find a natural one. "'Just give your reason a chance.' And, torch in hand, he turned to an examination of the coffin. It was, as I have already said, shaped roughly like the mummy inside it, though the feet which projected from the lower end were so enormous that for Sekenyen's sake I trust they were an exaggeration. At the top, the face of the dead king had been carved life-size into the solid wood, and then painted with a care and cunning which made its life-likeness, seen thus in the shadow at least, simply startling and this effect was enormously heightened by the wide-open, staring eyes, made, so Davis said, of mother-of-pearl with pupils of jet. The way they shimmered in the light was positively uncanny. The chest and shoulders were covered by a broad, jeweled necklace, quite wonderfully painted, and below it on the breast lay what looked like a snake and a vulture. A pair of closed wings in full gilt were folded about the body, as though to protect it, 
and below the wings down the sides of the coffin as far as i could see ran an inscription which it was evident davis was panting to translate what do you make of it asked creel at last is it really the fellow you thought it was it is sekenyan ray beyond a doubt answered davis quickly see here is his cartouche he is wearing the double crown of upper and lower egypt the uraeus and the vulture are the sacred symbols of sovereignty over those two lands these figures beneath his feet are his guardian gods amon re ka and osiris i have never seen a more beautiful case we must lift it out so that i can get to work on that inscription for heaven's sake man creel protested don't start anything like that to-night you'll kill yourself besides it's long past dinner-time i could tell by the way davis looked at the coffin that he would willingly forego dinner and sleep and everything else for the opportunity to study it but again reason triumphed over impulse you're right he said i'll get it over to the tent to-morrow then i can work at it in the evenings and with the help of the natives he slid the heavy covering slab back into place and nodded to them that they might go i don't suppose it was really necessary to put that cover back on said davis but i like to be on the safe side it is just possible that one of the natives might be tempted to break into the coffin and steal whatever's inside it he couldn't get away with it of course but he might do a lot of damage now it's safe and with a last look around he picked up his torch and led the way along the passage you will have to tear this wall down before you can get that coffin out said creel as we came to the narrow entrance yes i'll set some men at it first thing in the morning said davis and flashed his light over the wall and across the slabbed ceiling won't there be danger of the roof coming down i don't think so the wall was put in the last thing after the coffin had been sealed up in the sarcophagus so the roof must have been built to stand without it of course the weight of the sand that is heaping up over it just now may make a difference but i'll take down just enough to let the coffin pass you'll not try to bring out the sarcophagus oh no that's too big for me to handle besides it isn't of much value since it isn't decorated i'll turn it over to the government we found it quite dark when we emerged from the tomb and we hurried up the steps and across to the tents where we found ma creel anxiously awaiting us i thought you were never coming she said i was just going to send after you nothing wrong is there asked creel how's the princess did she wake up no said ma creel she didn't wake up she just turned over and went to sleep but she wasn't asleep no she wasn't it wasn't sleep and it wasn't a faint i know i've seen too many women in faints it was something different more serious but she's sleeping now like a log what was it happened asked davis who had been listening closely you didn't tell me anything i didn't think of it said creel mamselle roland had some hard scenes this afternoon and played them magnificently for all she was worth we ended with the burying alive scene i told you yesterday you know and she played it so well that the natives got all worked up and broke loose and tore the wall down the minute the last stone was in place you must have heard the racket i did nodded davis i supposed that was what you were doing i was too busy to look out well what then when i got through the opening i found mamselle roland in a heap on the floor the strain had been too much for her ah commented davis and jimmy did he faint too faint i burst in i should say not he walked away the moment it was over without waiting to see whether the girl was dead or alive he had no reason to think her dead davis commented but he has evidently got past the fainting stage yes he boasts of it i said he told me he would never be afraid again but i didn't think him so cold-blooded i broke off for want of the proper words to finish the sentence where is he now asked davis he's in his tent said ma creel he came in about an hour ago and went into the tent without saying a word 
I haven't seen him since. I suppose he's asleep. Go and see, Billy, said Creel, and in a minute I was at Jimmy's bedside. He had thrown himself on his cot without removing even his shoes, and lay on his back with his hands behind his head, and his ankles crossed. His eyes were closed, and he was breathing with a slow, deep regularity, which told of profound slumber. He's sleeping like a log, I reported. And you say Mademoiselle Roland is sleeping too? asked Davis, who was scrabbling thoughtfully at his beard. She's sleeping as though she would never wake up, Ma Creel answered. Great deep breaths as regular as clockwork. And she didn't come out of her faint? She didn't say anything? Not a word. She didn't even open her eyes. I was sitting right there, bathing her forehead, when all at once she seemed to relax. Then she stretched out, crossed her ankles, put her hands behind her head, and went off to sleep. What in heaven's name is the matter now, Billy? Why— I stuttered. Why, that's just the way Jimmy is sleeping. Ankles crossed, hands behind his head. Well, what of it? Creel broke in, with what seemed to me quite unnecessary violence. Didn't you ever hear of anybody sleeping like that before? I'm tired of these hysterics. Let's have dinner. I'm nearly starved. And he stalked away to the tent. I remember thinking, as I looked after him, that he wasn't so far from hysterics himself. Then I noticed that Davis was still scrabbling thoughtfully at his beard. End of chapter 23